0: Well, uh, hopefully talking about all those big dreams and bucket list hopes, uh, hopefully that has filled you with anticipation and hope. um, That, as Kurt mentioned, is exactly uh, what we're going to be talking about today as we continue in our series. Uh, For those of you who haven't met yet, my name is Katie and it is a thrill to be here with you um, this morning at Existence Church. Well, the whole idea of this that we've started last week and are continuing this week is that as we look at the emergence of this Jesus way of life, at this, you know, purpose. Like, what what is the reason of following Jesus? Why would we come to a place like this? Why would we devote the time in our day uh, to pursue following this Jesus? And it's um, it's because we find that the people of God throughout the scriptures have been empowered to do great things and to create the kind of community uh, that reflects. This irresistible Jesus. That is our hope of what these kinds of gatherings will produce, not only in us, but as we stretch out and look beyond um, the world. And last week, as Kurt talked about uh, irresistible grace, uh, today we're going to be wrestling with this idea of hope. And now, uh, I don't know about you, uh, but for me, one of the things that you should know about me is I have this, like, unshakable desire to be part of something miraculous and awesome in my lifetime, I just, no shame about it, I want to be part of an incredible movement of God. The kind of movement of God where you're like, it is undeniable that God was in that because there's no way that that could have been produced uh, by human effort. And so I realize um, that kind of makes me a little bit weird in some ways. It's made me jump out in faith and do a couple of crazy things, like move to a new city in Chicago when we were in our you know mid 20s to help start a church, and uh, it's taken me on some pretty cool adventures around the world. Uh, but I don't know about you, but are there ever times where you just wondered, where you just thought to yourself, um, "Gosh, I refuse to believe that God." designed this life, this adventure of following him to be something that is boring and predictable. Is anyone with me with that? Like, don't you agree that what God calls us to, that it should be irresistible, that it should be filled with hope, that it should give us a bigger picture for our life than what our current circumstances might be telling us? Maybe you can relate. Um, See... Hope is something that kind of covers a wide range of, you know, spiritual spectrum, so to speak. You know, maybe as you're thinking about hope, you're like, hmm, I really hope I could go to Chick-fil-A after church today. Oh, want, want, Sunday, too bad. None of us can go to Chick-fil-A today. We'll have to wait till tomorrow. But it can cover everything from something trivial as what we want for lunch to something more profound. Like, I really hope my children grow up to become all of who God is created them to be or maybe it's I really hope my marriage can become better or I really hope I get that job I've been praying to get and so I don't know where you stand when it comes to hope uh, but whether you would say you are a committed follower of Jesus or whether you're just checking out this whole Christianity thing because maybe a friend or neighbor invited you I want us to start off uh, by reading one of the most foundational passages when it comes to understanding how the God of the universe forms hope within each and every human soul. Now, I know that sounds like a pretty daunting task, but I believe um, that the word of God, um, that the words found right here, um, that these words come directly from his heart and are written directly uh, to our hearts. Even if you're just learning what you believe, maybe this is like your first time at church or maybe you're new to church, I want you to just ask yourself this question. As we read these words together, ask yourself, are these the kinds of things that you want to be true about you when it comes to hope? Now, we're not going to turn there. Um, We're just going to jump because the words are going to be up on the screen. But uh, we're going to read a verse from Romans. Uh, It's written by a guy named Paul. And Paul had been through some crazy adventures. His bucket list was pretty incredible. Um, But he writes this powerful thing that we are actually going to read out loud together. I know. We're mixing it up a little bit. It's going to be a little bit. We're going to cover a lot uh, of God's word today. So uh, buckle up. We're going to start off by reading this out loud together. All right? First service nailed it. So I expect you guys to be even more hope-filled and excited about these words that we're going to read together. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. All right, so therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Wow, you guys nailed it the first time. We didn't even have to do a do-over. I'm so excited about that. Friends, when you read those words, does something rise up in you? Does your heart start to beat a little faster. I know for me, I, I find it interesting that Paul, the writer of these words, he addresses this idea of suffering in the midst of his pep talk about hope. Strike anyone as a little bit odd? For me, it, it kind of does, but Paul speaks right to this tension that many of us have felt at times. That sometimes, if we're honest, if I'm honest, that sometimes in life, it's a little easier to just not get our hopes up in the first place so that we don't get disappointed when the thing we hope for doesn't happen. Has anyone ever been there? Yeah, I for sure have. Right? But as we just read, hope does not put us to shame. Other translations say that as hope does not disappoint. Right? And here, Paul tells us that um, even when the disappointments of life come, they can serve a different purpose in the story that God is writing in our lives. Right? And you went, okay, so how do we take that? How, what is hope? What does it actually mean? How do you define hope? The best definition that, that I can come up with is that hope is a holy confidence in God that defies circumstances. That hope is not dependent just on whether things go right or things go wrong. Hope is this thing that God sustains in us even when we think, that all hope is lost, when we're willing to endure suffering, when we're willing to endure things that don't make sense in life and stick with God anyways and allow Him to do what only He can do. Right? If any of you have had the kind of relationship, maybe a marriage or a friendship, have you ever noticed that even in our most important relationships, even like our relationship with God, that it requires a certain tenacity, a kind of dogged determination to just not give up. And then there's the times where we feel that hope gets stretched thin, that maybe we feel ourselves becoming hopeless. But God lovingly refuses to keep his children, you and me. God lovingly refuses to keep us in the shallow end of the pool of hope. God desires us to work out this thing called hope, to work out, to exercise it, to put it to work in our lives, because he knows what waves might be coming in the future. He knows that a shallow end kind of hope will not sustain us in the waves and the storms to come. And so friends, it is not bad news when we hear things like that, that in all circumstances, even in suffering, even when we have to endure, that God is producing character for what he has next for us in our lives. You see, disappointments are a part of life. All of us face them. In fact, Jesus promises us that we will face disappointments. On your faith journey, even in the midst of disappointment, you can be filled with expectant hope. Right? Maybe there were times in your own life, in your own story. Maybe it was in the beginning of your journey of faith. Maybe it was in the beginning of your journey with marriage or with parenthood. Right? You're filled with hope. You're filled with excitement. Every day was the best day. We were just at a wedding last night. So I'm like, I can, I can preach. A brand new bride and groom that just promised their forever. to ev- Everything's the best. They're not thinking about what might lie down the road. But then we do find ourselves facing reality where maybe we realize marriage or parenting is, whew, it is way harder than we anticipated Right? Or maybe that job opportunity that you thought was going to be, you're putting all of your hope in this finally being it for me, and then maybe it doesn't pan out the way you thought. Right? Or maybe a fight with a friend escalates to a point where you wonder if you'll ever be able to repair the relationship. Or maybe it's a marriage or an unexpected loss of a loved one that just leaves you undone. If you're a human being, right, is all of us, if you are a human swirling around this planet, going around the sun year after year, we will face moments where it doesn't take much searching to see that often in life we confront pain and suffering that we don't understand, right? We don't have to look very far on our social media stream or on the news to find that there is pain and suffering in this world that seems beyond hope, things that are outside of our control. Maybe you're like, dude, I thought this was a talk about hope. Who invited Debbie Downer to start talking about all the problems in the world, right? You see, hope is not just turning a blind eye to pain and suffering, but it's about stepping into it. It's about being willing to step into the battle to fight for hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. Because the truth is is that irresistible hope is going to call us to unprecedented courage true for you, it's true in your life, it's true in my life. That irresistible hope calls us to unprecedented courage, right? Because hope is something that we, you can't have hope in something that's in the past. You can only have hope in a present moment. And even though you can only have hope in a present moment, it's always future-oriented. And that's where courage comes into play. That's where courage shows up. Because we can base our assumptions about the future on the past. That's one way to approach life. But God calls us that even when we've lost, even when we see the odds stacked against our favor, God gives us this ability that is beyond our human capacity sometimes to believe a future that doesn't make sense. This isn't weak and flowering, but this is perhaps one of the most grueling battles that we can step into. And as those that belong to God, the enemy of our soul wants to take out that hope. The enemy of our soul knows that he can chip away at our excitement for life. He can chip away at our faith. He can chip away at that holy confidence in God that defies all circumstances if he starts to chip away at our hope. Right? But what our broken world needs most, friends, what our broken world needs most is men and women like you and me, students, young people like you and me who are willing to fight, who are willing to allow the power of God to rise up in them, a strength of character that is supernatural. And so we're gonna jump in and talk about uh, a story from the book of Luke that is one of my favorite stories of the life of Jesus. Um, And this comes, uh, the story, just to give you a little bit of context, Um, This story takes place right after Jesus had just been resurrected. It's literally still Easter Sunday, right? For me, when I think of hope, Easter is one of the first things that comes to mind. All the little kids in their outfits and their bonnets and all the fun colors and flowers and spring and life and hope and everything's the best, right? So literally in this story, it's the actual first Easter. And the followers of Jesus had been scattered and confused and devastated by this loss. Their leader, many of them had uh, given up their whole lives. They'd given up their careers. They'd left their families. They'd sold all their possessions to follow this man who they believed was the Messiah, who had come from God to save the world. And all of a sudden, these rumors start to spread that the same Jesus that had died three days earlier was now no longer in the tomb. And so some of Jesus' followers were starting to hear this news. And even in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their hopelessness, they're all of a sudden confronted with this news that just sends them into a tailspin. And so we're going to read a story about these two friends. That what do they do in the midst of their confusion and the chaos? They decide to go for a walk. And they go for a walk to a nearby town called Emmaus. And uh, to give you a little bit of uh, context, as you turn uh, to Luke 24 with me, it's on page 516. Emmaus was a place uh, that was a symbol of hope. It no longer exists as a place, but it um, was established because there was a battle fought there. And at the end of this battle, it actually marked the end of one of the worst Holocausts in Jewish history. Um, this Holocaust that happened about 150 years right before uh, Jesus was walking around the earth. And so this victory ensured that Judaism would continue, right? And that Christianity could be born out of that. So it was this huge beacon of hope. It was the city that just embodied hope for the Jewish people. um, That God did something that defied all odds. And so um, these friends... If you're anything like me, maybe sometimes when you're confronted with a moment of grief or pain, maybe you think back to simpler days, like, oh, man, back when we were dual income, no kids, life was just easy. I mean, we didn't have the joy and the awesomeness of these kids, but money sure went a lot farther. Or maybe for you, it's, man, back in college or back in high school when I had less responsibility. So that's, that's a little bit of the dynamic going on at play here with these friends is that in the midst of these, confu- of these confusing times, they're longing for something hopeful. They're longing uh, for something simpler. And so I want you to follow along with me. It'll be uh, in your Bibles or it'll be up on the screen, however you would like uh, to read along with us. But we're gonna pick up uh, in verse 13, right there at the bottom of the page, chapter 24, verse 13. And it says this, that day, two of them, Right? Two of the disciples were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all of these things that had just happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Can you imagine that? You're walking along. All of a sudden, like, hey, guys, what's up? This random person just starts walking with you. Right? Jesus was literally next to them. I wonder how many times for us, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our circumstances, Jesus shows up right next to us. But all we can see is our circumstance. Follow along with me. We'll continue in verse 17. And he said to them, Jesus speaking here, what is this conversation that you're holding with one another as you walk? Stunned, they stood still, looking sad. You imagine them hunched over in sadness. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answers them, are you literally the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have just happened there in these days? And he said to them, Jesus says, what things? Tell me more, Cleo. Right? You see Jesus taking on this stance of them discovering and them wrestling with this. Jesus knows that there's a holy work that can happen in one's soul when you're willing to sit it out in the confusion and the chaos their downcast posture, their eyes just couldn't even look up enough to see that it was Jesus there next to them, right? So moving on in verse 19, it says, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he goes on to tell Jesus his whole story. He's like, dude, you're telling me my own story, for real. Check it out. Here's what he says. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped. Hmm. But we had hoped that he was the one. Let that sit for a minute. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, Cleopas continues. And besides all of this, it is now the third day since all these things happened. It is now the third day. Hmm. Moreover, some women in our group, in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. And then they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels. And that those who said that he was alive, these angels literally told them, Jesus is alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Right? It was like this was too good to believe what these women said, so a couple of guys had to go check it for themselves and make sure. Right? But they did not see him. They did not see Jesus. So it's so interesting to me that we see these disciples, Cleopas and this other friend who he's not even named. Right? These two friends are starting to kind of add up. All of the information, they're like, okay, wait, so these women said that Jesus wasn't there. Then these other guys went, and there were some angels. You can see them doing the math, adding up the eyewitness meter. And you see it tick, 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 that you see maybe, just maybe, this might seem a little bit too good to be true, so, so I don't know. We're not going to get our hope up yet. But then we see Jesus, He is such a master. He's such a master at knowing our hearts. Because as this eyewitness meter keeps ticking up in the hearts of these two friends, Jesus starts to dial up the awareness dial. And he changes his strategy. Follow along with me in verse 25. We'll pick up where we left off. And so Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. See, Jesus isn't calling them out. He's not actually calling them like, You fools, he's not like condemning them. Have you ever had a moment where someone's like, oh, bless your heart, right? Jesus has this, this tender posture where he's so endeared to them, and yet he's also wanting to help them shift their perspective, right? Oh, bless your heart. Oh, foolish ones and slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Right, we see Jesus, now he's starting to speak about himself in the third person. Very effective way at uh, convincing people things. Right, and then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures and all of the things concerning himself. So Jesus literally goes in to go back up all the way. Let's start at the very beginning, friends, Moses. One by one, all of the prophets affirming everything that had to happen according to God's plan. Jesus is literally telling them his own story, and they still don't even realize it's him. Gosh, Jesus is hilarious. Man, there would definitely be some kind of reality show about this story. Anyways, so Jesus doesn't shame them, we see, right? He doesn't call them out. He doesn't put them down. He simply brings them back to the word of God. He knew that that God's promises. He knew that God's promises would be what helps them get the new perspective they needed in order to turn their disappointment back into hope. And then it picks up here, in verse 28. I know this is long, you guys. You're bearing with me. This is awesome. We're covering so much of this story. I love it. Pick up with me at, at verse 28. Let's see what happens next so they drew near to the village this is after Jesus had just opened up their eyes to all of the scriptures leading up to that point they drew near to the village where they were going and Jesus acted as if he were going farther you know keeping it cool i'm just going to keep going guys no big deal right but they urged him strongly saying stay with us for it is towards evening now they're coming up with all these reasons we don't know why we want you to stay with us we just do for you know it's towards evening and the day's now far spent and so of course Jesus with all the love in his heart he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with these friends, he took the bread and blessed it and he broke it and it gave it to and he gave it to them. And in that moment, their eyes were open and they recognized him and then the unexpected, he vanished from their sight all of this lead-up to this moment of when these friends finally realize it's Jesus. And then, boom, he's gone. They asked him, stay with us, stay with us. We don't want you to leave. You've just opened up this whole new perspective for us on the scriptures. Now that we see it's you, their hope is restored. And they said to each other, in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened up the scriptures? And they rose within that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven, which are all the other disciples, all of Jesus' closest followers, and all of those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, also called Peter. And they began to tell all that had happened on the road and how he was known to them, how Jesus was known to them in the moment of breaking bread. Now, friends, this is incredible. The moment these friends saw Jesus, they went from downcast, could barely walk, could barely even turn their heads up to see who was walking with them to instantly their hope is restored. All of a sudden, they're sharing their story. They're continuing the good news of Jesus. They're all of a sudden on mission spreading the gospel to all these friends and this movement of Jesus continues. All of a sudden, people, Jesus' followers are unleashed to continue the work that Jesus had started. And for me, I find it so fascinating. I want to break this apart for us because God transforms our disappointment to hope when we do a couple of things. And so we're going to walk through a couple of the ways that that God does this, the way he transforms our disappointment into hope. And the first is that he he transforms our disappointment to hope when we saturate our mind with God's word. When, when we're willing to saturate ourselves, when we're willing to get into the word of God. See, Jesus knew the f- first thing he needed to do for these friends was to remind them of the promises of God, to remind them of the things that they had already devoted their lives to learning the teachings of Jesus. See, hope does not disappoint, even when our circumstances can lead us to realize otherwise. Right? That when we're willing to risk hope, to look foolish... That's right where God has us, to where he can grow our hope in beautiful ways. Right? See, God created us in his image to be courageous warriors of hope. And sometimes, sometimes, when we're in the thick of it, we just need a little reminder. When we have the tape playing in our head of all of our failures or all of the things that people have said about her, or all of the things that are causing us pain, we just need to be reminded with the word of God, of what God has to say about us. We actually put together a little resource for you all. Um, Speaking of that, knowing that hope is something that we can all wrestle with at times. um, We actually put together something that uh, our prayer team, when we are going to be in the back later on in the gathering, this is a list of a bunch of different areas where we can struggle to remain hope-filled. And we've listed out Promises of God from his word that pertain to each of these areas that we sometimes find ourselves struggling with. And so if you're in a posture right now where you're like, I just don't even know how to pray for myself. I don't even know how to pray myself out of this anxiety, out of this depression, out of this grief, out of this physical disease I'm wrestling with. Head back and grab one of these after the gathering. We would love nothing more for you to take it and be praying the truth of God into your own life and your own heart this week. Another way uh, that God transforms our disappointment into hope is when we saturate our heart with his character. You see, God is the giver of good and perfect gifts to his children. He never causes harm or suffering. I want to say that again. God never causes harm or suffering. But he does advocate for us in the midst of our suffering. He fights for us. He gives us strength. He is our comforter. Because the truth is, God doesn't always answer our prayers exactly the way we hoped he would. He doesn't always heal disease this side of heaven. He doesn't always provide financially in our exact timing. But he always invites us to show up with him fully. He always invites us to engage with our whole hearts and to be intimately known with us when we feel pressed up against the wall, when we're having our hope chipped away, God invites us to bring that to him, knowing that his heart is the heart of a loving father that wants to be with us regardless of what we face. When there's uncertainty, when there's unexpected, Jesus wants to be there with you, fighting for you. Lastly, God transforms our disappointment to hope when we saturate our soul with the Holy Spirit's presence and power. You see, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that morning, that morning that those friends went for the walk, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me and lives in you if you invite him in. That this Holy Spirit can resurrect hope even when we feel all is lost. In fact, Romans 8, says it in a really powerful way. I want to read this to you. That for in this hope we were saved and now hope that is seen is not hope at all. For who hopes for something that he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray. Have you ever felt like that? God, I don't even know how to pray about this right now. God, I don't even know how to come to you. All I can bring to you right now is my broken heart. If you've ever been in that posture, as I know I have, this is where hope kicks in when we don't have the strength. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes or prays for, the very spirit of God prays for us, the saints, those that belong to God, to, according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those that are called according to God's purposes. Isn't that amazing? That even when we cannot find the words to even pray, the Spirit intercedes with wordless sighs and aching groans. When we can't even form the words, God's Spirit is already praying for us on our behalf. See, this is the unseen warrior that God gives us to show us his perspective even in the midst of our circumstances. This is where I've seen God show up for me time and time again in the moments of life where I didn't even know what to say or what to pray after losing friends to cancer, after losing a family member to addiction, after losing babies to miscarriages, after failed fertility treatments. These are the moments where God, I just throw my hands up and admit that hope was lost. God, I don't even, I can't see a better future than this present. And when I lost my hope and when I wasn't courageous because my hope had taken too many hits, I lost my ability to hope only to have friends step in and say, then you can borrow mine. And I can remember the exact couch in the exact room I was sitting on in the exact moment that a friend sat across from me, eyeball to eyeball, and said those words, you can borrow mine. That God uses those holy spaces when we're messy, when we're raw, when we're willing to sit in the undone spaces where God does the praying for us. And he restores our hope beyond what we could have done on our own wherever you find yourself today, whether you find yourself struggling for hope, whether it's hope for a marriage to be restored, whether it's hope for your body to be healed or for a friendship or a loved one to be transformed by God's love, maybe it's hope for healing from the pain of a divorce or for your career or your finances to be restored, or for God to just give you a partner to do life with. God to finally answer your prayers and give you a child to complete your family. Whatever it is for you, friends, it's time for us to courageously step up and risk hoping again. You see, the invitation to trust in a God who makes all things new is the same kind of invitation that when we live into this hope that we invite Jesus to start speaking the language of hope from God's word directly to our hearts. We start to lean into the character of God. We start to invite the Holy Spirit to pray on our behalf when we can't even form the words ourselves. Because irresistible hope, friends, it calls us to unprecedented courage. It causes us to envision a future that we could have never envisioned on our own. You know, our deep desire um, for this church Our deep desire for this community is to be one that embodies this kind of holy confidence in God that defies circumstances. And simply by looking at the story of this church, many of you have endured, just as a body, over this last year of so much uncertainty, so many questions, you know, we've only been here for four months. But I know there's been a lot of change, a lot of things shifting around, a lot of perspectives that maybe got, whoa, God, what are you doing here? And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in this moment, we find ourselves confronted with this God that is saying, friends, I'm doing a new thing. As a church, you, us, we have persevered, have allowed God to form character, to build hope. Many of you in your personal lives, The more we've gotten to know your stories, the more we are seeing God is up to something redemptive and restorative and hope-filled. And I can't wait to see it unfold. And that's why this idea of holy hope, irresistible hope, is so important. Because God's inviting us into something miraculous, something bigger than we can even imagine, than we can even hope for. So what I love about Jesus is he's slow to let hope rise. He's slow to let us discover on our own the depth at which our souls can trust him. But he's also quick when we ask, when we say Jesus, just stay with us a little bit longer like those friends say, don't keep going Jesus, stay with you. He's quick to say, yep, I'm there. I'm with you. And in that moment of breaking bread when these friends eyes were opened to the reality of who jesus was that is the beauty of the story that god continues to invite us in that moment when jesus broke bread and cleopas and his friend realized they were brought back to this moment in an upper room before jesus had headed to the cross a moment where jesus told his friends this is what's going to happen to me i'm going to endure this death it's going to be painful Three days later, I'm gonna be risen from the dead. You guys can't even comprehend that right now, but it's because I love you so much. I'm willing to go to death, to the ends of the earth, to conquer death, to conquer hell, to conquer any pain and separation from God that we can ever endure. Jesus took that on himself and courageously stepped into hope knowing that God had a bigger plan for his life. And as he sat at this table... Knowing full well the love he had for you, the love he had for me, he explains to his friends, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out in love for the forgiveness of sins. Past, present, future, every human that would exist for the rest of time, Jesus' love conquered all of it. And gave them hope in the midst of what felt hopeless. And he knew he knew us humans, he knew our fickle hearts so much to know that we would need a visual, to know that we would need a reminder. And so communion serves as this anthem of hope. As we step out to defy all circumstances, communion calls us to remember the sacrifice and the love of Jesus. And the table is open to everybody. Everyone who wants interact with Jesus, everyone who wants to have a relationship with Jesus, this table is open. All people are welcome to the table of Jesus if you want this love, if you want this acceptance, if you want this salvation. So in just a minute, I'm going to pray and we want you to know that the bread is gluten-free in case that's an issue for you. It's juice, it's not real wine. If anyone's underage, you're cool. I'm not going to tell anyone's parents table is open to everyone and as we pray and as we take communion we invite you to come forward go back to your seat you can take the elements there at the table or you can take it at your seat but I invite you as you do reflect on the mighty love of Jesus reflect on the hope that he invites you and he invites me into before we do that I thank you that you are a God who knows our hearts better than we know ourselves. That in the midst of our circumstances, you invite us to saturate our minds with your word, with who you are, your character and Holy spirit, you yourself pray on our behalf when we can't even find the So, Lord, I just want to pray over anyone in this room that is struggling with fear and anxiety. I pray a spirit of peace and hope. For new whose hope feels thin with all of the injustice of our world, Lord, I pray for hope, for healing for our land. For anyone navigating a broken relationship, Lord, I pray for forgiveness and healing. For those who are grieving pray for the comfort of your presence. For those with physical disease, I pray for healing. For those facing depression and despair, Lord, I pray for the cloud to be lifted. For restoration. For your comfort to be near to them. Lord, for those that are waiting, that their hope is deferred. That they're praying and waiting God, I pray for this dream to be fulfilled. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, knowing that you use all of our circumstances for a purpose that is bigger than you just answering our prayer. But God, you are forming hope in us as we wait, as we trust, as we lean in, as we show up with our whole hearts. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave your whole self for us. And that as we take these elements, this bread, this bread, And this juice, Lord, let us be reminded that you are near and that you desire to be with us.